moderate millennial. My name is Tiffany Trujillo and I am your host. And I just want to say a huge thank you if you are listening. I have been wanting to do a podcast for a long time and I'm finally doing it. I'm very excited to start out on this journey. So I have some intro topics, just some sort of things that have been going on recently, kind of things that have been in the news things that people have had a lot to say about, and I just want to add my two cents. And then I'm also going to follow that up on a specific topic where I kind of do like a deep dive into one specific, usually controversial thing and provide some facts and some commentary, let you guys know where I stand. So first and foremost, I guess, I'll tell you guys a little bit about myself. I am going to be 26 in November, so I know that I'm kind of like on the younger end of millennials, but I'm still a millennial, okay? I still remember dial-up internet. So I consider myself to be a moderate conservative because I feel like I'm a lot more open-minded than some people that are also conservative speakers and commentators and things like that. And while there's a lot of stuff that I agree with, most of the conservative values that are set out really align with my personal values as well. But where I differ from a lot of people is that While I am a Christian, I don't bring it into politics because, you know, there is a difference between church and state. And I I do feel like I'm a lot more open-minded. I'm willing to admit when I am wrong. I'm willing to listen to the other side. And I'm not the kind of person who is going to be so set in my ways that I refuse to, um, you know, listen to the other side or take that into consideration. And I think that a lot of the issues that we're facing in this country today can be resolved by some common ground conversations. I think that a lot of um, what each side, you know, no matter what you are, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, anywhere along the scale, I think that there are some basic principles that pretty much every person can agree upon um, that doesn't really have anything to do with religion, anything like that. And I think that it's important to open the door to other voices and other opinions and to not just be so shut off and closed-minded. So that's kind of a little bit about me and where I stand in terms of politics. But I do want to go ahead and get right on into the intro topics for today. So starting off, we had some controversy going on at a Turning Point USA convention in Florida um, about a week and a half ago, I believe regarding Brandy Love, who is an adult film actress, aka a porn star, um, who considers herself a conservative. And she attended this conference, which was a um, student, like student association summit, I believe is what it was called. And it was open to the public. Um, It was open to anybody who wanted to buy tickets. And Brandy Love bought a VIP ticket. She paid her own money. $550, I believe, was the cost of that ticket. And she was kicked out because apparently some parents found out that she was there and did not like that. They complained and she received an email telling her that she basically was not welcome to be there and that she needed to leave. So um, that... That stirred up a lot of controversy because, you know, the, the conservative side is like against cancel culture. That's what we're supposed to stand against. And it seemed like she was being canceled. So she put out a statement um, where she said that she had just sat through four speakers talking about the evils of cancel culture and censorship. And then she was canceled. Um, she said that in an interview with The Sun. Well, I get online, you know, because I'm interested and um, see that Candace Owens commented on it. Now, Candace is somebody who I've been following for about two years. I found her on YouTube originally, and a lot of what she had to say was very smart. Um, I agree with a lot of her ideas, but on this, I just feel like she was wrong. So Candace... 
um, was asked, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think it was okay for them to kick her out? What is your point of view? And I'm going to provide you with a direct quote here. She said, this was great. I mean, this is exactly right. This is a conference for minors. I have a bigger question. What was she doing there? Anything that is antithetical to family values is not conservative. Well, I have an even bigger question. How did they know it was her? How did those parents know that she was a porn star? Because honestly, if I would have seen her, I wouldn't have known it was her. Just being honest, I would have just thought, oh, like here's like just another middle-aged white woman with some fake boobs, great. Like I wouldn't have known that she's a porn star. So it really makes me wonder about those so-called family values that these people have that you could see a crowd of people and point out and be like, oh, that's Brandy Love, the porn star. Well, no, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I think that's complete bullshit. They knew who she was because like millions of other people, they watch porn and they knew who she was because they recognized her. So I also want to point out um, in Candace's statement where she says, anything that is antithetical to family values is not conservative. Well, I looked it up, okay? And the definition of conservative, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is the holding of political views that favor free enterprise, private ownership, and socially traditional ideas. So while I understand that Candace may hold specific family values that, you know, most likely are formed based upon her religion, which is okay for her, um, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You don't get to decide, okay, you're allowed to be a conservative and you're not allowed to be a conservative. That's not the determination for us as individuals to make. And like I said, I typically agree with Candace on most things, and this is just not one of them. Now, um, you know, the free enterprise, private ownership, hello, she is her own business person, she is her own business woman, and just because she is a sex worker doesn't mean that she can't make the conscious choice about where her political affiliation lies. We cannot be the gatekeepers. This is what turns people off from the Republican Party is that, you know, they call us intolerant, they say that we're not open-minded, and this is exactly what they're talking about, is people that do things and say things like this and say it's okay to kick her out, you're not allowed to be conservative if you're a sex worker, that is just ridiculous. So, um, Brandy put out another statement, this one I really, really liked, and it's a little bit long, but I wanted to read it to you, this was like, a whole statement that she put out and I think it really resonates with me and it should resonate with the rest of the party. Um, she said, I used to believe people like Candace Owens were fabulous. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Not only did she attack me, but Candace said Tommy Laren should have been kicked out too since she endorsed Caitlyn Jenner. Last week taught me a lot about people and politics. The Democrats have their fanatics to deal with, such as Antifa, BLM, and the Squad. The Republicans have theirs to deal with as well, such as this ultra-religious faction and white nationalists. You cannot govern a country as wonderfully diverse as the United States of America from the extremes of either side. It will always lead to the same dark place, authoritarianism. This faction within conservatism has seized upon one issue, social conservatism, and are trying to capture the language and the MAGA movement with it. They will fail. Why? Because MAGA is diverse. We are black, white, Hispanic, LGBTQ, porn stars, Christian, Jewish, agnostics, atheists, etc. And even the religious zealots, as much as I despise them, and as misguided as they are, they are welcome as long as they don't harm the rest of us or start behaving like the radical left. And I think this was a great statement and a great eye-opener. Um, you know, if people could actually understand where she's coming from with this um, and actually sit down and actually really think, am I the person that gets to decide who somebody votes for? No. You're not. Let me tell you something. I'm a vegan, uh, but I don't go around saying, hey, you, you eat meat. You don't get to be my friend. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like, you know, you 
you make your own personal decisions for, for yourself. You have that. You are so lucky that you have autonomy to do that. That is great. You know what? You don't want to be a porn star. You don't want to support the porn industry. Fine. That's okay. Um, you know, don't watch it. And apparently these people who ever recognized her are hypocrites because, like I said, I would not have been able to recognize her. I wouldn't have been able to pick her out of a group of people and say, hey, that girl does porn. And even if I could, I wouldn't because that's really not my business. It is a legal profession to have. It is something that she chooses to do. Um, she has every right to do that. And, you know, even if there's people that we don't agree with, it's not up to us to decide who can be a conservative and who is not allowed to. So I would like to know what you guys' thoughts are on that. Um, you know, if you want to shoot me a message on Instagram, my Instagram is at Moderate Millennial Podcast, and you guys can shoot me a message if you want to let me know what your take is on that. But moving right along to our next hot topic is Addison Ray. So this happened about two weeks ago, but I've been wanting to talk about it because I definitely have some comments. So there was a video that surfaced about two weeks ago after the UFC 246 match that showed Addison Ray, the famous TikToker, in case you don't know, um, she went up and introduced herself to President Donald Trump. So apparently this caused quite a stir um, because Addison had previously been accused of being a Trump supporter. And of course, in this day and age, that is a no-no. Um, now, in the video, Addison goes up to President Trump, taps him on the shoulder, and she says, Hi, I'm Addison. Nice to meet you. I have to say hi. Hello. So nice to meet you. And then a few days later, Addison was taking pictures with some fans when a paparazzi asked her if she was still getting a lot of flack for being a Trump supporter. And she did not respond. Instead, she just turned around and walked back to her car. So a lot of her fans were upset and took her silence as a yes. However, it was also pointed out that she never responds to paparazzi questions, so it wouldn't really be out of the norm for her to ignore the question. But then um, someone who clearly has way too much time on their hands found some old tweets from 2016 that were liked by Addison's Twitter account. And her account appeared to like a tweet from a professional MMA fighter, Derek Brunson, that read, Who y'all voting for? RT for Hillary Clinton, like for Donald Trump. And apparently she had liked that tweet, suggesting that she would be voting for Trump. Although at the time she would have only been 16 years old, so she clearly wasn't actually voting for anybody. But after this tweet surfaced that she had liked, um, a representative for her sent BuzzFeed News uh, the following statement suggesting the reason for it still displaying was due to some type of bug. They, uh, they included a screenshot and they said below is a screenshot from Addison's phone which reflects that she has not liked the tweet. She has no memory of ever liking this tweet and we are in conversations with Twitter to figure out this discretion. Well, I call bullshit, okay? Um, you know, Addison Ray is is free to support whatever politician she wants. And again, with this cancel culture shit, like you, you shouldn't be canceling somebody because they have an opinion that is different than your own. You don't know what her values are. You don't know what, you know, the way that she grew up, the way that she was raised. She's from Louisiana. So a lot of people in the South are, you know, more traditional, more conservative, and that is totally fine. And, you know, for people to be coming after her like as if she just killed somebody is is not okay. Um, she's 20 years old, so she would have been old enough to vote in the previous election. I don't know if she did, but you, you want to know something? It's really not anybody's business who she voted for. It doesn't matter who she voted for. She's not a politician. She's a uh, an entertainer, pretty much. Um, and, and she's allowed to have her own opinions. I don't know what this trend is going on that people are not allowed to have a, an opinion of their own. It's like, like, do you think that you own her? Do you think that you have a say-so over what she believes? No, you don't. So if you like her as a TikToker, 
that's what you like her for. She's not a politician. She's not going out trying to get elected for something. So whatever her political affiliation is, is really nobody's business. And, um, you know, I feel like, of course, you know, her going up to him, she must have known that, okay, this is going to cause some backlash. Of course, it was going to end up on video. There was probably thousands of people in that arena that, that saw the interaction. The other thing that I wonder is, was this like, was this pre-scheduled? I would think that, you know, before you could go up and introduce yourself to the president or the former president, that this would have to have been prearranged. Um, because the way that it looks in the video, like she comes up from behind him and taps him on the shoulder. And I feel like that would be a red flag for um, the Secret Service if they didn't already know it was going to happen. I'm not saying it was like a publicity stunt or something, but um, it would. I think it would have had to have been prearranged. And I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. There's been nothing out saying that it was or that it wasn't. But um, I'm just wondering. And you know what? If she likes him, that doesn't mean that she's not still a good person. Um, you know, I just think it's it's so crazy. It's ridiculous. It's sad, too, that somebody is getting canceled again, once again, because we've seen this happen many times before, but getting canceled for, you know, supposedly being a Trump supporter. All right, so moving right along to our next topic, um, we're going to be talking about Simone Biles. So, um, Simone, in case you guys don't know, which I'm sure you do, because if you don't, where have you been? But she's a 24-year-old gymnast. She is considered the best gymnast of all time. Um, and she was expected to feature in all six events at the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And she had been having some trouble pretty much since she got there. She just wasn't performing her best. We were seeing her kind of fumbling a little bit, just not what we're used to seeing from Simone. Um, and on Tuesday, she attempted a vault and the specific move, I, I don't know because I can't pronounce it. And either way, she, she didn't pull it off and, um, she ended up exiting the competition floor with the team doctor after nearly being injured and when she returned a few minutes later, her right leg was wrapped and she removed her bar grips from her hands uh, because she would have been competing on the uneven bars next. But instead, she hugged her teammates and then put on a jacket and sweatpants and basically called it a night. So apparently she talked to some reporters after the fact and she had revealed that she'd been struggling with her mental health and these demons that she's been fighting in her brain. So a direct quote from her that she said was, I do not trust myself anymore. I have to focus on my mental health. It is very unfortunate that it has to happen at this stage because I definitely wanted these Olympics to go a little bit better. We have to protect our mind and our body rather than just go out there and do what the world wants us to do. Um, and I, I completely understand that, you know, she, she has every right to pull herself back and say, I'm not there mentally. I cannot do this. I will end up injuring myself um, or I will end up, you know, costing the team points because she wasn't scoring very well. Like she usually is like top of her game um, and, and her score was so low on Tuesday after you know, that failed attempt at that vault move that it really, it really brought the team score down so much that they ended up placing second, which, you know, is not bad, but the United States Olympics gymnastics team has, you know, been placing gold for, you know, I don't know, forever or just a really long time. But, um, you know, that's just, it's, it's a difficult decision. I don't think that she made that choice, you know, just willy-nilly and I've been seeing so so many um you know conservative commenters just being so harsh and the really just mean things that people are saying online just got me really fired up and I knew I had to talk about this um so the first thing I actually saw written about her was by Matt Walsh who has a com a column with the Daily Wire and he had some pretty messed up shit to say. He said, Simone Biles quit on her team because she wasn't having fun. This is called being a quitter. 
It's completely disgraceful and selfish. I guarantee that most of the people defending it wouldn't be if she was a man. We now have decorated Olympic athletes quitting in the middle of the competition because they're sad. What an absolute embarrassment, but in some ways an appropriate representation of a country that has gone soft. You know what, Matt Walsh? Simone Biles is a human being. She is a human being, okay? She is not some kind of robot. She is a person who experiences life, who experiences traumas, who experiences mental health issues, and she deserves compassion and support in a time like this. And Matt Walsh, I looked you up. You have never competed in the Olympics, okay? You have never experienced Simone's life. You are not her. She didn't quit because she wasn't having fun. She quit because she was experiencing a mental health crisis. She didn't quit. She stepped back. She assessed the situation and she did what was best for her mental health, which also in turn would affect her physical health. Which I'm sure that if the pain was on the outside, you know, if she had injured herself, broke her arm, broke her leg, whatever, that you wouldn't be saying this. You wouldn't be coming at her as if mental health isn't a real thing. You may have never experienced depression. You may have never experienced anxiety, but that does not mean it doesn't exist. And for you to say this, it's absolutely disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And if she was a man, I'm pretty sure that people would still be supporting still be saying, you know what? You got to take care of yourself first. You come first. Do you want her to put a medal ahead of herself? Is she supposed to say, you know what? I don't matter. This medal matters more than me. This competition matters more than me. No, it doesn't. She is a person and her health and well-being comes first. And if she was your daughter, I don't think that you would be saying that. Or actually, you know what, if you did, I would hope that your child would not be scarred from you being their parent. Because you're the type of person that would have a child. I don't know if Matt Walsh has kids. I hope, for, I pray to God that he doesn't because he would be an awful father. But he would be the kind of father that, you know, their kid would be miserable, would be hurting themselves, and would be too fucking afraid to say anything to their parents if they ever experienced depression, suicidal thoughts, anything like that. They would be the kid that would be way too afraid to come to their parents because they would dismiss them. And do you want to know what you're putting out here is just horrible? Simone has access to the internet, okay? She has access, and I pray to God that she is not seeing this hateful shit that is being posted about her. She is a human being. And I think that Matt Walsh and others like him have forgotten that. Now, I want to point out um, that Simone was sadly one of the gymnasts who was sexually abused by Larry Nassar, who is now serving life in prison. She has been open about her struggle with depression. Um, and and how that even led to her having thoughts of suicide. It was that difficult. She even said, um, you know, in a statement that knowing that she's going to have to go back to the training facility where the abuse took place was weighing on her mentally. Um, she also said on Tuesday that therapy and medicine have helped her, but had not been enough. Um, in a direct quote from her, she said, I feel like that's all been going really well, but then whenever you get in a high-stress situation, you kind of freak out. You don't really know how to handle all these emotions, especially being at the Olympic Games. Once I step up onto that mat, it's just me and my head dealing with the demons in my head. Um, she then went on to tell reporters that she was not physically injured, just, quote, a little to my pride. Physically, I feel good. I'm in shape. Emotionally, that kind of varies on the time and the moment. So again, you know, she 
she's been through something traumatic, okay, at the last Olympic Games. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. But I would reckon to say that possibly being back in this environment has triggered her um, and has brought back these horrible, horrible memories of what happened. And, you know, again, I don't know what's going through her head. I'm just saying if it was me in that situation, that's probably something that I'd be fighting and struggling to not think about in that moment. Uh, She was also, she experienced a little bit of a rough childhood as well. So she was in foster care as a child with um, her three siblings. They were in and out of foster homes until about 2003 uh, when she was adopted. And she wrote in her memoir, Courage, Courage to Soar, A Body in Motion, A Life in Balance, that her biological mom was suffering from drug and alcohol abuse, was in and out of jail, and that she didn't have a mother to turn to. And she also was bullied in school because after she took up gymnastics, you know, these girls are built. They are muscular, but for some reason, assholes, you know, in high school had to bully her because of the size of her arms, her muscle size. Then at age 16, she was treated by a sports psychologist due to her confidence plummeting after a poor performance at the 2013 Classic. In 2016, her ADHD diagnosis was made public by hackers. That's nice. She commented on Twitter tweeting, having ADHD and taking medicine for it is nothing to be ashamed of, nothing I'm afraid to let people know. So you see, you think of her as just some kind of show pony, robot, I don't know what you think. Maybe that she is not an actual person. Um, Maybe that she hasn't dealt with her own set of traumas at only the age of 24 to have the weight of the world on her shoulders because everybody's expecting her to go out there and break records. And I'm sure that that, that's what she wanted to do. I'm sure that that's what she wanted to do more than anything else. And I'm sure that she is so sad and so disappointed already in herself. It's probably weighing on her heavily that she had to make this decision. And then to have to hear, you know, bullshit from people who don't know shit about her um, or who don't know shit about mental health, try and come and attack her. That's just a really great way to kick somebody while they're down. So Matt Walsh and others like you, I hope that you guys sit there and I hope that you feel horrible for the things that you have said. Simone doesn't owe anyone anything. She is not obligated to live up to the expectations that you have of her. She's a human, and I'm going to keep saying that because it seems like a lot of people have forgotten that. Now, um, she had um, also revealed that she was also trying to do what was best for the team. She didn't want to keep dragging the scores down further. She knew that if she went back out there, the scores would have not been good enough to, to help them. So, you know, I feel like what she did was brave and courageous and selfless. I can just imagine, okay, so I don't know Simone, obviously. I don't know her in personal life. But um, from what I've read about her, and I've been following her on Instagram since a while, probably since the last three years or so. Um, But what it seems like is that she's very hard on herself already. And I can imagine that that's the case with any competitive athlete or anybody who competes in general. You, you are hard on yourself. You are your own worst critic. And it is just downright cruel to penalize her for having to step down. That probably took immense, immense courage to say, you know what? I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to prevent my teammates from doing well. They have worked too hard. They've come this far, and I'm not going to be the one that drags them down. So it was probably very hard for her to put her pride aside and say, you know what, I'm doing what's best for my health and what's best for the team. And anybody who has anything to say about that, anything mean to say I just want you to remember again that she is a human being and that she is most likely going to see 
the crap that you're saying about her. And that when somebody's already in a low place and you just keep kicking them when they're down, you're going to push her into a further crisis. And if you don't have anything nice to say, I think that you should sit with yourself and I think that you should meditate on it and think, why do I, why do I think that my opinion of this person matters? Why do I think that I get to dictate what they do or don't do with their lives? Why do I think that I am a psychiatrist and can diagnose her and say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with her. She just wasn't having fun. That's bullshit, and you know it, and I know it, and everybody knows it. So you know what? Why don't you just take your little column and go back to wherever you came from and you know, don't comment on people's mental health if you don't believe that mental health issues exist. All right, let's move on to the next thing here. I'm kind of switching gears. The last three topics have been about people, but I wanted to touch on the Delta variant that's been um, you know, running rampant here in the U.S., and uh, we've been hearing about it on the news and hearing about how scary and dangerous it is. The CDC just put out new mask recommendations, you know, recommending that even vaccinated people wear masks in some situations. So anyways, a couple of weeks ago, the Delta variant, um, a.k.a. came from India variant, became the dominant strain in the United States. And um, while Delta appears to be more contagious, about 50% more than the Alpha variant that was first found in Britain, um, which is why Delta has outpaced Alpha. Um, However, interestingly enough, uh, the UK has been tracking this variant, so they have a lot of numbers out. These numbers are specific to the United Kingdom, but um, they are still important numbers to think about. So the seven-day average of new UK cases is above 25,000 a day, which is the highest since late January when the weekly average had just dropped from a peak of 50,000. So that's kind of a lot, right? Um, However, interestingly enough, only 2,000 people in the UK have been hospitalized compared to about 4,000 back in January. And the daily deaths in the UK average under 20 versus more than 1,000 back in January. And similarly, in Israel, despite a spike in Delta cases, they are seeing deaths in the single digits over the last month. So pretty much what these numbers tell us is that, yes, Delta is way more contagious, but it is far less lethal then they are trying to make us believe. And that makes sense with science, right? Because in evolution, science and evolution favor variants that are more contagious, but also ones that are less deadly because killing the host reduces the chances of spread. Delta caused a 10% rise in daily U.S. cases last month. However, COVID hospital admissions have dropped. And data released, again, by the U.K. government... Um, since they're tracking the mutation, shows a case fatality rate of only 0.1%. So what does that mean? That means that if you get the Delta, on average, obviously not everybody, but on average, you have about a 99.9% chance of survival, which is even better odds than birth control. (laughs) Okay, so case fatality rate is even many times higher than the actual death rate, Because the vast majority of COVID cases go undetected. These are, you know, the asymptomatic, the super spreaders, you know, those guys. Um, The WHO runs its numbers based on the estimate that 1 in 20 cases are detected. And the CDC bases its estimates on a 1 in 10 ratio. Basically meaning that for every one person that goes to the doctor or goes and gets a COVID test and it comes back positive, There is about between 10 and 20 more people that have COVID that are asymptomatic and don't go to the doctor, don't get a test because, again, they're asymptomatic. So they're not being prompted to go get a test. So this actually puts the death rate even lower than that 0.1% that we talked about earlier because you got to take an account to actually how many people are actually getting COVID compared to the, the small group of people, the small fraction of people that actually go and get a COVID test 
um, and it come back positive. And then there's also the issue of dying from versus dying with COVID. And in places like the UK, any death that occurs within 28 days of a positive COVID test is labeled as a COVID death, regardless of its positive test actually had anything to do with the manner of death. Isn't that interesting? So because of this, the numbers may still be grossly exaggerated. So it really makes you wonder like, okay, so that makes sense, right? It's more contagious, but it's less deadly. That's why we're seeing less hospitalizations and less deaths, but we're seeing more cases and yeah, they're spiking and, you know, they can spin it any way they want. They want more people vaccinated. I get it. You know, the vaccine, I'm not going to talk about it today because it's your decision that you get to make if you want it or not. But what I don't like is people like Joe Biden blaming the unvaccinated for the, the spike in cases um, from Delta. But, you know, it's, it, I believe this is a way to fear monger, to scare people into getting the vaccine. And that is not OK. That is not OK at all. People should not be coerced into getting a vaccine. People should not be forced to put something in their body that is not even FDA approved yet. And these numbers tell me that we should actually be celebrating the fact that Delta is the dominant variant now. Because again, 99.9% rate of survival. You know, again, I'm not telling you don't get vaccinated or get vaccinated. That's your choice. You get to make that choice for yourself. You get to say, you know what? I'm a smart person. I know my body more than anybody else. I know what I want to do. I want to get the vaccine or you know what? I'm going to pass. I don't think the benefits outweigh the risks for me. All right, guys. So it is time to get into our main topic, which is transgender women in sports. So I know that this can be a very touchy subject. It is a very controversial issue. It's been at the forefront the past few weeks as, you know, the Olympics are going on. But I do want to preface this by saying I support the transgender community. I support their right to exist. Um, I believe that they deserve the same rights as everybody else. I am not transphobic. I am not a bigot, first of all. I believe that everybody deserves the right to live their life in the way that makes them the happiest and the most fulfilled. So, so scientists have agreed that transgender people experience a thing called body dysphoria and that could be caused by a numerous amount of different things some of them we can look at scientifically you know obviously not every person who experiences body dysphoria has a chromosomal abnormality things like that but there's what I'm trying to say is that um, I'm not trying to debate whether transgender people actually exist they do and it has been proven and the thing that causes it is body dysphoria um, which is basically not feeling that you are in the right body as best as I can describe it um, because I've never experienced it obviously I wouldn't be able to adequately describe what that feels like but I can imagine that it is a difficult thing to go through to not even feel right in your own body right like i said i am a supporter of the trans community i think that they deserve every right just as much as everybody else they deserve to exist they deserve they deserve to not be discriminated upon all of that good stuff okay but um in the case of transgender women in sports it's a very very difficult subject Um, because on one hand you're like i really want them to be able to live their life but In sports, we do kind of have to think about the the biological advances that men have over women. Now, about 0.6% of the U.S. population identifies as transgender, according to Gallup. So where do I stand on this? I guess I should start by, by stating where I stand on this. I don't believe that it is fair to allow people that are biologically born male to compete as women in female sports and I know that that is probably not the most popular point of view I understand that but I am going to follow it up with some information and some facts and some science 
um, that you can think about. And, you know, this is this is a situation where, like I said, it's it's hard to come up with a solution for because we want to be inclusive. We want to we want people to live their life and express themselves and feel the best in their body. But again, there are some biological advances that men and biologically born males have that women don't that would make it an uneven playing field so the first one i'm going to talk about some um some biological differences here um the first one is the most obvious it's the hormones so biologically born males have higher levels of testosterone while biological females have more estrogen so these hormones influence and cause the presence of specific physical and physiological functioning characteristics in both sexes, visible especially at and after puberty. The next thing is the weight, height, bone, and muscle mass, which males tend to have a greater development in all of these aspects. Skeletal muscle constitutes about 42% of a man's body mass, but only about 36% of a woman's body mass. So that is, that is quite a difference there. We also have the issue of fat distribution. So metabolism shows some differences at the biological level and hormones such as estrogen cause women to store a greater amount of fat, which is why it is more difficult for us women to lose weight or develop muscle. It is so much easier for males to lose weight and put on muscle than it is for us ladies because our bodies are really made for um, reproducing and having children. And so we need a little bit of extra fat in order to um, accommodate that. Um, also, the skin and sweat glands are thicker. Men's skin is thicker. Um, they also have more sweat glands than females. So I think that would also come into play in terms of sports and athletics. Then we have the heart and lungs, which on average, these organs are larger in males. And this also plays a role in greater muscle strength and endurance. So, you know, these are just some of the biological differences that we have to think about. These things are what you're born with. Now, aside from the hormones, which yes, um, there are testosterone suppressors. So aside from the hormones, though, you, you know, somebody who's biologically male has all of these other advances over their female counterparts. You know, the muscle, the bone mass, the, the larger heart, the larger um, lungs, things like that. They have more oxygenated blood as well on, on average. So these are some of the things that we also have to consider. And right now, it seems like in sports, the only thing that they consider is their hormone levels. But the hormone levels are just a piece of the puzzle. They're just a piece of the puzzle. You're not going to say, well, I'm transitioning from male to female and I need a woman's heart and I need a woman's lungs and um, I need to take out some of my muscle and some of my bone mass. Like you can't do that. <laughs> so, so these are, again, some of the things that um, biologically separate the sexes. There have also been some top athletes that have spoken out and of course been ridiculed. But um, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all about some of them. So first and foremost, Caitlyn Jenner, um, you know, formerly Bruce Jenner, who was an Olympic decathlon athlete. Um, Caitlyn said, this is a question of fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are trans competing in girls sports in school. It just isn't fair. And I completely agree with that. Then we have Martina... Navratilova, and I really hope that I didn't butcher her last name, but she is a Czech-American former tennis star, and she said, it's insane and it's cheating. I'm happy to address a transgender woman in whatever form she prefers, but I would not be happy to compete against her. It would not be fair. And in February, Martina called upon Joe Biden to alter his executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation, which he signed his first day in office. Uh, Martina wanted assurance that the order would not create a situation in which biological men and women would not be competing against each other solely on personal identity. So um, then we have Paula Radcliffe, who was a retired long-distance runner, 
and she supported Navratilova's criticism of policies that allowed trans women to compete on the same track as biological women. And she said, if you are born and grow up male, you cannot be allowed to compete in female sports simply because you identify as female. It makes a mockery of the male and female sports categories. Will it open the door up there? She asked in an interview two months later to transgenders actually being able to say, you know what? We don't need to bring our levels down either. We don't need to have any kind of surgery. We can just identify how we feel and then we can just come in and compete in women's sport. And that would be the death of women's sport, according to Paula Radcliffe. And I think that is a very controversial statement to make, but I do think that she's right. Um, You know, I don't think that any, well, okay, I hope that there's not boys out there who are just not cutting it on their team, who just are like, you know what, hey, I'm not cutting it on the boys team, I can just switch over to the girls team, say that I'm trans and beat all of them. I hope that that's not what's going on. I don't think that that's what's going on with the actual athletes that we're seeing today. But anytime that there are blurred lines like that, people will take advantage. And, you know, I think that no matter which way you put it, people will try to take advantage if they can. There are just some people out there that are like that. So then Kelly Holmes, who was a former Olympic runner, also defended Navratilova in 2019 um, when she said anyone can live how they want to live but let women have their rights too. Um, She called trans athletes topping biological women a bloody joke in another tweet which you know again it's it's true anyone can live how they want to live or you know I don't like to say how they want to live because for somebody who actually experiences body dysphoria it's not a want it is necessary. Um, so, but yes, women also have, need to have their rights too. And we don't need to be put against people who have biological advances over us. Sharon Davies, who is a former Olympic sprinter said in 2019, that if you just ignore that potential benefit, women XX born natal females will not be able to win any of their medals, any of their sports scholarships, any of their Uh, profile opportunities to be able to get a platform. How is that fair? We are in a society where 50% of us are women. And again, that is true. We will, we will see, you know, if this is something that's like blanketed, you could see the disappearance of, you know, like she said, XX born natal females, you will see them disappearing at the Olympics. It'll be a team of trans female athletes they will lose out on their sports scholarships. Think about a high school track runner. You know, they they are on top of their game. They are training hard every day. They are trying to get that scholarship, trying to get that um, qualification to go to the Olympics. And they're not going to be able to if they have to compete against people with biological advances. Um, she also sounded off on the decision to allow... Um, Laurel Hubbard to compete in Tokyo, which I'm going to be talking about in a little bit. Um, She said, we have men and women separate competition for a big reason. Biology and sports matters. Separate categories give females equal opportunities of sporting success, which is a really great point to make um, and makes me ask the question, hey, if we're just going to, you know, allow people who are biologically male um, onto a team designed for people that are born biologically female, maybe um, you should ask yourself, well, what if we did away with gendered sports altogether? Um, You know, is that something that we should propose? I personally don't think so because then that would be the end of any women in sports ever. Um, But, you know, there is a reason why there are two categories. Now, Chelsea Mitchell is another athlete who was at the top of the Connecticut high school track circuit in 2020. And she said, I was the fastest girl in Connecticut, but transgender athletes made it an unfair fight. She had written this in an op-ed for USA Today. They updated it three days later when the editors changed the word male to transgender each time she described her opponents and the editors had to apologize for the original hurtful language. Um, And in 
February of 2020, she filed, well, she joined a lawsuit from the Alliance Defending Freedom Against the Connecticut Association of Schools, attempting to change the state's policy that allowed transgender athletes to compete against her. However, this case was dismissed in April of this year, and it was then appealed in May. So we'll have to see where that goes. Um, now, some of these athletes that I mentioned above, especially some of the, you know, Olympic um, athletes, some of these athletes that are at the top of their games, they actually formed a group to take on the issue by proposing federal legislation that would exempt girls and women's competitive sports from Biden's recent executive order um, that we talked about earlier, which mandates blanket inclusion for all transgender female athletes. So again, you know, the people that are speaking out, they're not bigots. They're not transphobic, even though they've been called those things. They're just reasonable people with common sense. And I said in my trailer, if you guys listen to that, that I take a common sense approach and I do, and I'm sorry, but common sense dictates that biology matters. We cannot just X out science. Science is, is a constant, okay? It is just something that exists. It's like math. And of course, there's some things out there that are like scientific theories and things like that, but biology is not one of them. We understand anatomy. We understand physiology and we understand biology of our species. And, you know, every species of animals is separated by two sexes. That's just how the world works. And again, it's not to say like that they shouldn't exist or that they shouldn't be allowed in sports whatsoever. It's just to say that they are they should not be competing against people that were born biologically female. Okay, so now I want to talk about the case of some athletes who are pretty much dominating in women's sports who are transgender females, so uh, biologically born males who are excelling and dominating in women's sports. So um, we'll start off talking about Cece Telfer, who competed in the NCAA's women's sports in 2018. Prior to that, though, Cece was competing on the school's men's team. And uh, it should also be noted that Cece had been taking medication to suppress testosterone, but the NCAA does not set a maximum level of testosterone allowable for transgender athlete, which is very interesting. So um, Cece decided to join the women's track and field team at Franklin Pierce University in New Hampshire as a fifth year senior pursuing a second major. Um, but it should be also noted that prior to joining the women's sports team, Cece had actually, um, you know, been on the men's team for three years. On the women's team, Cece had a number of victories. She won the NCAA Division II title in the women's 400-meter hurdles and was celebrated as the first transgender woman to do so. Celebrated. Celebrated, okay? It's not fair. It's not fair because she had an advantage over the other girls on that team. She had a biological advantage over the other girls on that team. Um, now I want to move on to the case of June Eastwood, which is very similar to Cece Telfer's case. Um, June Eastwood is also a transgender athlete who competes in track and field. And in high school, June competed in high school uh, on the high school men's team and held state titles in 800, 1600, and 3200 meter races, as well as in cross country. So this is a person who was already dominating on the men's team. Later on, when she attended the University of Montana, she competed on the men's cross country team for the first three years. And while on the men's team there, she was significantly faster than the women's collegiate records in the 800, 1500, and 5000 meter races. And although June takes testosterone suppressors, um, they have slowed her down a little bit, but she still remains a competitive threat to biologically born female athletes. All right, so another transgender athlete who is dominating in their women's team um, is Mary Gregory who dominated at a Raw Powerlifting Federation competition in Virginia. She broke four women's world records, which were the Masters World Squat, Open World Bench, Masters World Deadlift, and Masters World Total Record. 
These records actually were later revoked after several decorated athletes, some of whom I mentioned above, spoke out in opposition. The Federation later announced that they would form a new transgender division. And I think that is a great response. That is a great idea. That is just one of those things that, again, like I said, it's not an easy solution to come to, but that is a good example of this federation taking the initiative and doing this. I think that's great. In another instance, at a Connecticut high school uh, women's track championship in 2019, two... Athletes on the team are transgender biological males. They left their opponents in the dust. Um, Terry Miller set a girl state indoor record for the 55-meter dash, completing the race in 6.95 seconds. And Andrea Yearwood, another transgender athlete, placed second with a time of 7.23 seconds. So you have your first and your second um, place winners They're both transgender women. They're both biologically born male. They both have advances over the other girls on their team. Terry Miller also won the 300-meter event in 2019. And in the previous year, the two athletes placed first and second in the 100-meter dash. Following the state championships, parents in Connecticut began circulating petitions to bar people that are biologically born male from being in the women's track competitions. Kelsey Mitchell Um, I believe that's what she was referring to when earlier we talked about how she was at the top of the Connecticut high school track circuit. Um, And she was she was outdone by these two individuals because, again, they have these biological advances in terms of these um, athletes. There's a few that are um, more professional, um, like Rachel McKinnon, who is a semi-professional cyclist in Canada. Again, uh, transgender woman, biologically born male who set the world record for the women's sprint world championships in 2019. And a lot of athletes were very upset about that as well, saying, again, it's not fair. There's also Laurel Hubbard, who is at the Olympics right now. Um, She is the first openly transgender athlete to compete in the Olympics in weightlifting. Um, Just think about that. Now, Laurel transitioned eight years ago at the age of 35 you know no judgment people are free to transition at whatever age um, that they feel comfortable but before her transition she had competed in the men's events already setting national records in junior competitions in the men's team so in if you see pictures of her she is very tall she is very strong looking um, she looks like she could lift a car to be quite honest, she towers over the other um, opponents. She's just much bigger. She has more mass for muscle, more space for muscle. Um, and you can just tell that she is built differently. And again, it's a biological advance and it is not fair. Now, Anna Van Bellingen, which again, I'm sorry, some of these last names are very difficult. My last name is very difficult, so I know how it is. Um, But she is a Belgian weightlifter who is competing against Hubbard. And she said in May that Hubbard's presence in the competition would not be fair. In a statement, she said, quote, First off, I would like to stress that I fully support the transgender community and that what I'm about to say doesn't come from a place of rejection of this athlete's identity. I am aware that defining a legal frame for transgender participation in sports is very difficult since there is an infinite variety of situations that are reaching an entirely satisfactory solution from either side of the debate is probably impossible. However, anyone that has trained weightlifting at a high level knows this to be true in their bones. This particular situation is unfair to the sport and to the athletes. And I think that is such a true statement to make. I would 100% agree with this. You know, we're not coming from a place of hate. We're not coming from a place of rejection. We're just simply coming from a place of, you know, we have experienced life as biological females. We know the limitations that we have. We are aware of it. And this individual, Laurel Hubbard, while she identifies as female, that's wonderful, but she doesn't understand the biological 
difficulties we have to endure, or I wouldn't really say difficulties because they're not difficulties to us. Um, but, you know, she doesn't understand, I guess, the difference between being a biological male and being a biological female. Um, she has not had to experience life as a biological female. She doesn't have, you know, the the experience, I guess, that the ladies who are biologically born female have experienced. Now, I do want to also talk about some of our top female athletes here. There is a website called boysvswomen.com, and they have compiled records of male high school students in 2016 and pitted them against those of female Olympians. And in the 100, 200, 400, and 800 meter races, the male high school players dominated the female Olympians. They claimed all the top spots. Most significantly, the website points out that none of the women's final performances met the qualifying time to even enter the boys' high school competition. Just think about that right there. What does that mean? Well, that means that um, if this was if this was to happen, you know, if this was something that became widely acceptable, we wouldn't have star athletes like Flojo, Venus and Serena Williams, Allison Felix, or Simone Biles. They would just cease to be able to qualify. The contest would be so lopsided again that they would not even qualify for the Olympics. I mean, listen, listen to this. Their times wouldn't have even qualified them. And these boys, these high school-aged boys, beat out all of these Olympians with their times. Now, um, you know, to, to take it even further, Allison Felix, who is possibly the fastest female sprinter in the world, she even holds more Olympic medals than Usain Bolt, um, well, her lifetime best for the 400 meters is 49.26 seconds. But based on 2018 data, nearly 300 high school boys in the U.S. alone could beat it. So just think about that. She is the fastest female sprinter, more decorated than Usain Bolt, and 300 high school boys in this country alone can beat her. Another um, interesting story here regarding some very famous Olympic athletes. <laughs> the, the, the Williams sisters, actually, in 1998, they claimed that they could beat any male tennis player ranked outside of the top 200. A male tennis player ranked 203rd took them up on that challenge, and he beat both of them, 6-1 to one over Serena and 6-2 to two over Venus. And afterwards, Serena said, quote, I didn't know it would be that difficult. I played shots that would have been winners on the women's circuit, and he got them very easily. That is just something insane to me. 203rd. He's ranked 203rd. Venus and Serena, I don't know where they ranked at that time, but I'm sure it was at least in the top 10. And this, this man, ranked 203rd, beat them easily. I, I wish that there was a way that... You know, you could just wave a wand and remove all of those biological advances. There's not, though. Sadly, there's not. In this, in this day and age, there's not. And maybe someday, I doubt it, but maybe someday <laughs> there could be. You'd have to get like a whole body transplant, though. So I just, again, it's a difficult situation because we want to be the most inclusive. We want everybody to be happy. But sometimes we just have to understand that not everybody's going to be happy with the situation. It's not optimal. It's not fair. It's not right. There's these female athletes speaking out. They are worried that they will be erased. And women have had to endure so much already. We have, you know, only in the last hundred years have even had the right to vote, you know, Imagine if a high school only had one basketball team or track team or soccer team or any sport, just one, um, where they comprised both genders. 
in the same sport. But there was only 10 spots available and only the top 10 in the school would get a spot. How many of those spots would be for female athletes? How many females in the school do you think could beat out the top 10 boys? Probably zero. And that is a scary thing to think about because that is what it is coming to. It wasn't even until the year 1900 that women even gained the right to compete in the Olympics. And it is saddening to see this taking place. And it is worrisome to see that there could be a day where there are no biological female athletes competing because the transgender females outdo them every single time. Now, currently, 10 states require males and females to participate in high school sports according to their birth sex, thereby prohibiting participation in girls' sports by transgender girls, whether or not they have begun male puberty or have had hormone therapy. 17 states and the District of Columbia require the inclusion of trans girls in girls' sports without regard to the extent to which they may retain the male-linked physical traits that otherwise justify excluding males from female sports on competitive fairness and safety grounds. And yet, another 17 states have adopted a policy similar to that of the NCAA, which allows trans girls and women to compete after taking gender-affirming hormones for a year. And six states have no policy regarding gender identity in sports whatsoever. So what do I propose as a solution? Well, I said this at the beginning, and I know that it's probably an unpopular opinion, but I think that maybe after listening to this, you might have a new perspective, and I believe that you just have to compete on the team that associates to your biological sex. I have seen other proposals, you know, make a transgender team. That would be great. I think that would be a great solution. Now, one thing I will not get behind, though, is separating it between, um, you know, transgender women who did not go through male puberty. That would require them to take puberty blockers before going through puberty. This is a child we'd be talking about. And I am completely 100% against children um, fully transitioning and not going through puberty because that is not a decision that a child should be making. Children, um, they, they don't understand the consequences of the choices that they make. And therefore, you know, that is not a choice that I believe a child should be making. It is certainly not a choice that the parent of that child should be making doing the actual taking of puberty blockers and hormones and things like that at a young age is is not ever going to be okay with me. And I can certainly do an episode on that in the future, but that's where I stand on that. So that's not a solution that I think I would, or I know that that is not a solution that I would be behind because that solution um, actually creates an even bigger problem. So again, Transgender women have every right to compete in sports and biological women have every right to protect the sacredness of their teams as well and not be outperformed by people that have biological advances over them. Well, that is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. Um, I would really, really, really appreciate it if you guys could subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and maybe um, rate the show and leave a comment. So I'm going to go now. You guys are all awesome for listening. Bye-bye.